Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the rest. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And this is the last show that we have got before the All-Star break, which happens next Monday night. When we get together next Monday night, the Home Run Derby will be happening. And then Tuesday night is the All-Star game happening in Cincinnati. And Jason Kipnis has been named to the All-Star team for the Indians. Araldus Chapman and Todd Frazier have been named for the Cincinnati Reds. Let's go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, and find out his thoughts on those two players being named to the All-Star team. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, David. And uh looks like the, uh, the Indians had a far better week than the Reds did in two minutes, but Frazier and Ross Chapman certainly deserves to be on this. I agree with you, Mark. I, I think they did, but as far as... uh you know, I, I, I look at it, Mark, and I, and I say the one thing I've got to say about it is that I think both teams, at least as far as the Indians were concerned, I thought Carlos Carrasco deserved to be on the team. That that was my big thing. And, um, but as far as the Reds are concerned, Todd Frazier I thought was very deserving of getting the third base side, and Araldus Chapman was very deserving. But now you've got John Johnny Cueto that is going to be going into that five-man vote. What do you think of that? Well, I don't think it makes a lot of sense because, from what I understand, Cueto is going to pitch Sunday before the All-Star game, so he wouldn't be available anyway. So why would you want to vote for him? Well, that, that's true. Yeah, I, I understand that, and I and I uh, commiserate with you, I guess, is what I, I should say. But, you know, I think Cueto is well-deserving. I thought he was deserving of being the starter for the All-Star team. Well, with the ZRA, and, you know, obviously you can't look at a, a one-loss record with the team they have. But you're right, he's pitching great. But uh, we'll get into uh, the, the, the Cueto enigma and what the Reds are going to be doing at the trade deadline because, uh, you know, Cueto's performance last time out was, was impeccable as usual. And uh, the Reds have some big decisions to make coming up. Well, you know, Todd Frazier, he talked earlier this week, and he he said that he thought he was surprised. Uh, he, he was extremely surprised about being voted in by the fans this year. Uh, a, little, a little bit. I was nervous, man. I was really nervous. I was excited. Um, it was a huge comeback. And, uh, you know, definitely have a bunch of thanks to all the people, uh, you know, especially Lisa Braun and Jamie Ramsey, uh, you know, the whole Red staff uh, for coming through. And, you know, all the fans out there that really, you know, took the time and effort because it is it's tedious to do. But, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm pretty much on cloud nine how excited I am. Not only that, Mark, but Frazier also felt honored to start this game in his hometown city. It's, it's something that, you know, you think when you're little in the backyard playing with your brothers, and uh, you always thought, you know, I have two older brothers, I thought they were going to be the ones, and, uh, you know, they, they taught me the ropes and uh, helped me along the way, and now I'm the guy that's, you know, my second all-star. And 
um, you know, it, it's just going to be a great time. I'm going to have, you know, pretty much about 14, 15 people coming, and, you know, they're, they're just ex as excited as I am. Mark, this is one of those seasons for Todd Frazier that it just seems that he has come into his own, and he's done an outstanding job for the Reds, and he's well-deserving of this start. You know what's amazing about what's happening with Frazier? He's got a chance. We're not even at the midway point yet. Uh, maybe we are, just 81 games. But he has a chance to break the Reds' all-time home run record in a single season. That's a, he probably won't because he's hit 25 home runs. Uh, 52 is the record by George Foster. And I think it's 1977. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, Frazier has a chance to break that record or tie that record, which is amazing with a lineup that really provides him no protection. Yeah, and he's, you know, talk about that lineup, because I, I tuned in to watch the Reds game earlier tonight against the Nationals while I was waiting for the Indians game to get underway. And, you know, we talked about this lineup about, a month ago, Mark, again, if, if the Reds would have listened to us and if the Indians would listen to us, they could cut a lot of time off of what's going on with their team. But, you know, the lineup tonight has got Phillips batting first. It just seems like wherever you put Brandon Phillips in the lineup for the Reds, wherever they've got a problem, they try to pr plug Phillips into that spot, and he just comes through for them. Then they've moved Votto back into second, mainly because I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been in such a terrible slump over the last three weeks. Then they've got Discalfani batting eighth, pulling the Joe Madden trick, and they've got Hamilton batting ninth, and that's something you and I discussed about a month ago. Yeah, that's become pretty much standard for the Reds to have the pitcher bat eighth. And you're, you know, there's, there'll be situations where that works out fine, and there'll be times when it won't, when you'll have you know three guys on with the pitcher coming out with two out. But that could happen if he's batting ninth as well. So I like the idea of having Hamilton uh, really a second leadoff man, as it were, uh, at the back of that lineup. Uh, it hasn't produced many runs. But, you know, a great statistic I heard over the weekend is that Joey Votto, who's on base all the time, and, and uh, Billy Hamilton, who is not, I think there's a 150-point difference in their on-base percentage, they're one run apart in runs scored. Which is which is amazing, because Votto hits home runs, Billy doesn't. Uh, Votto is supposed to be the power hitter, but every time Billy gets on base, it's a double or a triple. Every time he gets on it, so uh, that's why he's in a position to score a lot of runs. Well, and and Hamilton tonight is 0 for 2. As I'm looking at the box score in their game against the Nationals, it's a 1-1 game, and Phillips has picked up a hit. Votto's picked up a hit. Frazier, Bruce, Bird. You know, Suarez has picked up a hit. Even Discalfani has got a hit tonight for the Reds. Well, that's not unusual. The Reds, you know, they'll get eight, ten hits and score a run, or 15 hits and score two. Uh, they still don't have that run producer, and that's what's so frustrating about Joey Votto. He, he simply has not accepted the mantle of being your number four hitter and driving in runs. He, he just he doesn't. He won't. And that's why I, I as today I want to talk about what's going to be happening at the Reds at the trade deadline. But Joey Votto simply does not fit into the makeup of this team. Not not now, and many players don't. So, but at the same time, who is going to pick up a contract with nine years left at it on it, with about twenty five million dollars a year owed? Nobody. Yeah, that's an unbelievable contract, and of course we've gone 
over and over with that. As far as the Indians are concerned, they're 38-43. and 43. Mark, this team is just simply a 500-ball club, if not just a little bit below. They're mediocre. Um, they're proving it. They, they won four in a row against Tampa Bay last, last week, had outstanding pitching. I mean, in three straight games last week against Tampa, the Indians pitchers carried a no-hitter through at least five innings against the Rays. And according to the Elias Sports Bureau, the official statistician for Major League Baseball, according to them, that's the first time this has happened since they began keeping stats officially for MLB in 1961. Pitching coach Rick Calloway explained what the starting staff is doing to be successful. Oh, you know what? They, they threw the ball really well. They, they stayed within themselves, didn't try to strike a lot of guys out, and went out there and attacked. And, you know, anytime they're throwing the ball over the plate with as good a stuff as they have, we're going to have success. And that's what I want to see them doing. You know, and the Indians, as I said, Mark, they pitched extremely well last week. But then they go into Pittsburgh, and they pitched well, but they didn't hit. And they lose two out of three against the Pirates. They lose a one-to-nothing game on Saturday in which Cody Anderson just threw outstanding baseball. And then they lost the game on Sunday, which is the only game that they really should have lost out of that three-game set. But, Mark, when you can't hit the baseball, like we've talked about the Reds, but this Indians team is just pathetic. And whenever they put three, two steps forward, they take three steps backwards, and that's just the definition of a mediocre team. I've always maintained that the most frustrating team to watch, if you're a fan, is the 500 team. If a team is terrible and they lose 100 games, you're not upset when they lose. You expect them to lose. If a team is very good and they're going to win 100 games, uh, you, you have so many wins that you, you can overcome even bad losses. But it's the 500 team, the team that gets your hopes up. They win two or three in a row and you think, wow, this is it. This is the streak we've been looking for. Then they lose five in a row. Then they'll win two. Then they'll lose three. Then they split the next 20 games. It's very frustrating as a fan now. I'm sure it's even more frustrating for the ownership and the management. But in terms of just – I remember the Reds over the years when they had a 500 team. I just – it drove me nuts during that summer because they just never would catch on. And the irony here with the Reds is – that they're one 10-game winning streak from being back in this thing on the wild card hunt. But with the pitching staff they have, it's never going to happen. And with the hitting they have, it's never going to happen. So in, in terms of, I guess, the frustration level, this is the kind of team that we're both stuck with this year, and hopefully 2016 is going to be better. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we've got to look forward to right now is 2016. Carlos Santana, Mark, is just it, – it, I've come up with the pitching plan against Carlos Santana. Keep the ball belt high or lower. Because if you keep the ball belt high or lower, there's no way he's going to hit the ball. If you have it belt high between the che between the, the belt and the numbers, he'll hit the ball. And that's what he did tonight. He got a base hit to left field on a fastball right down the middle about uh, letter high, and he line drive the base hit to left field. But if you put the ball down low on this guy, he can't hit the ball anymore. It's just as simple as that. Moss has done a good job. Gomes is coming around. But, Mark, I mean, this team cannot hit. Last year, one of their staples was hitting with two outs and runners in scoring position. This year, they just can't do it. And to me, you know, I, I made the comment last week, it's time to get rid of Carlos Santana. And, and I really believe that. I think it's time for this team 
to go out and try to trade him and, and just try to get as much as they possibly can for him. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that he's not able to hit the low pitch, which is typically the strong point for a left-hand hitter. They like the ball down and in when you're a left-hand hitter, and right-hand hitters, for some reason, like the ball up and in. You know, they I, I don't know if it's the, uh, the way the earth spins or what, but uh, usually the sweet spot for a left-hand hitter is just to drop the bat head on an inside fastball or even a breaking ball. And uh, for some reason, uh, Santana is not able to pull a pitch that is the usually the sweet spot for most left-hand hitters. Yeah, and his his swing, Mark, is so long. Uh, you know, I, I made a, a joke about it a couple of weeks ago that it's as long as the drive is from Cincinnati to Cleveland. <laughs> I, he cannot, he can't check his swing, first of all, because once he starts the swing, you're, he's done. He just cannot check a swing. His front leg kick on both right and left side is so high that once he gets that thing up in the air, he just strides so far out. They have worked with this guy and worked with this guy. Since 2009, he has been with the Indians, and he has not improved at all. He, and matter of fact, the last two years, he's done nothing but regress. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a waste of time to mess with this guy anymore. Just get what you can out of him and send him on his way. But, but you know, the thing about it is, you know, you talked to, uh, last week about uh, what the rookies have done, especially Francisco Lindor. Let me tell you, Urshela, Giovanni Urshela, who came up to play third base, he had a 13-game hitting streak ended yesterday against the Pirates, picked right back up with it today. He's batting 275 on the season. He's got a double tonight, two homers, 10 RBIs, and he's playing excellent defense. And as far as Lindor is concerned, same thing. Batting 275, he's got one home run. He's a switch hitter batting in that second position. He can bunt, he can hit and run, and he's playing excellent defense. This team is in good hands in the future on the left side of that infield at third and short with those two guys there. Now, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. <laughs> Last year at this time, what was your shortstop hitting? Oh, he hit, he hit two eighty for oh, last year at this time. Yeah, he wasn't on the team. Well, he, your shortstop though came up last year, and everybody thought he was the the next he coming. Up, yes, he came up in July, and everybody thought he was the second coming. And yes, he spearheaded the team. Okay, and and, and yes, and who was but he? Who was your third baseman? A fly by night. Who was your third baseman? Lonnie Chisholm, and I never wanted him there in the first place. Oh my God! Place, Wait a minute. No. No, nope. I gave him bus. every opportunity in the world. Back up the bus. Everyone. You were a fan of Chisholm Halls for two or three years. I was. Okay, enough stuff. Okay, but I did not. But last year, what proved to me was when he hit in the first half, and I brought this up last week, when Terry Francona pinch hit for him, or didn't play him the next night after he had a nine RBI night in Texas, I knew it was over. Oh, David. No, I knew it was over, and it was over. He never hit the baseball very well after that. If he, and this year, he couldn't bat over two ten. If he's that much of a, if he's that much of a knucklehead that he can't overcome the fact that he's not, you know, playing a game after he has nine RBIs, then he's a dope. But I agree with you. My point is that these guys, to prove you belong in the big leagues, takes more than a week or a month or a year. It takes two or three years, and maybe more. And you, you look at Todd Frazier and what he did 
uh, his, I think he had 236 the second year. He struck out almost 200 times. He was horrible at the plate. And other guys like Jay Bruce come up and they tear the ball apart the first six months that they play, and and then they they tube. Baseball, it, unlike other sports, people adjust, and those who survive and succeed are those who would make the adjustment to the adjustment. And so when, when I hear about a guy coming up and he has a good two weeks and he's the next coming, I don't I don't buy it. I think that this kid. Giovanni, Urshela, and Lindor, I think both of them are the future of this team. Both of them. And I have seen more promise out of these two over the last month. And over the last month, they've been up since June 16th. Over the last month, I have seen more promise out of those two than I ever saw out of Ramirez and Chisholm. Period. All right. Just statistically, I'll make a bet that <laughs> one of them will not make it and one of them will be okay. It's just the, the, the nature of baseball and, and young players coming up. We'll see. Oh, we'll, oh, we'll definitely see. I, there's no doubt about it. I agree with you that there's a lot of adjustment period. But these two kids, I've seen enough over the last month that, first of all, you know, I, I've got an opinion, and I brought this up before. I've got an opinion on why Lindor didn't hit the first month down in minor leagues. He won the starting shortstop job in spring training. He won it. This is a common occurrence out of the Cleveland Indians' front office. They send kids down. They sit on them too long. They just sit on them and just let them percolate down in the minor leagues. And that's what they did with Lindor this year. I don't care the reason that, what the reason was that they sent him down. They sent him down. He won the shortstop's job in spring training. They sent him to the minor leagues. And I'm telling you, Mark, you can say that there isn't, but you've got to agree that when a kid comes up and plays his butt off in spring training and he's won the job and he knows he's won the job and everybody knows he's won the job and they still send him down no matter what the reason, it plays with the kid's head. It might, but it's also, the argument's going to be <clears throat> that they're protecting the kid. They want him to come up one time. They don't want him to come up and go back down again. And how many games last year did Lindor play in AAA? Uh, in Triple A, seventy seventy some. Okay, he didn't even play a full season of Triple A. No, he didn't. <clears throat> so I can understand their their logic or their explanation. I'm sure will be, well, we wanted to give him more time at Triple A to make sure he's ready for his for his. Oh yeah, that that was that was their logic. Well, it, they do that with everybody, Mark. The guy, up, let me oh, let me throw a name out at you, Jarrett Wright. Now, did Jarrett Wright have a long professional career? No. But the year they brought him up from Double A, in '97, the Indians came within one out of winning the World Series because of that kid, Osdrubal Cabrera. I'm going to stand behind him. He came up from Double A back in 2007. It was because he came up and played outstanding baseball that the team won the division that year and was one out away from going to the World Series and losing a three games to one advantage over the eventual World Series champion, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, you know, those are just two names that they brought up from the minor leagues. But they let these kids percolate down, in, and I, I, I use that term because that's just what they do. They let them just sit on the burner for the longest time and bring them up. They got they got a kid down there now that's 23 years old, and he's been in minor league baseball for five years, and he's supposedly one. They're touting him as one of the great hitters in the minor league system. 
and they're expecting him to come up and play baseball in two years. He's 23 years old. I mean, come on. This kid, he's gotta, they've got to come up and play sometime. David, I've got a theory. My theory is that the Cleveland Indians do this just to tick you off. Oh, I think they do too. I think they know you. And they make these decisions predicated on the fact that that you get upset with their lack of agreement with you, and they, they this this and the Lindor thing, and your your dislike for your former manager. I won't even break up his name because it gets you apoplectic. But uh, those three things I think really irritate you more than anything else that we talk about with the Indians. I just feel that Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro have been with the Indians way too long. It's time for new blood. And it's time for these guys to start trusting their farm system rather than go out and try to sign reclamation projects year after year after year. They've only hit on one, and that guy's pitching in Oakland right now, Scott Kazmir. That's the only one they've hit on on these reclamation projects. Where's Sean Markham? He's not even on the team now. You know, I mean, you bring up a point that, that irritates me, too, about the Reds. and I, I, We've talked about it before. They sign guys like Badenhop, and they sign guys, a pitcher who's been gone, I forget his name, he was so bad. They sign these guys to one-year short-term deals, and you're right. They you know, sign them to a million, $2 million deal, which is not a chump change. But then they release him after three weeks. Why not go out and sign somebody for five or six million dollars, one guy who can actually do the job? I, I don't understand it. And, and if you got a kid, if you've got a kid in the minor leagues, you know, for example, I just read the other day where the Reds are going to start lengthening Tony Singrani. Well, that that's good news considering the guy. What's he thrown? Thirty innings so far this year. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, let's lose him for something. He's on the major league roster. Let's use him. I can't figure out what Brian Price is saving him for, the seventh game of the World Series. Well, I don't understand, and they brought it up on the broadcast the other night on national TV. Uh, the Reds were in a, in a tight game earlier in the week, and uh, a left-hand hitter came up. There, I think it was one or two out in the eighth inning, and they left the right-hander in who gave up a hit, and the Reds lost the game. Why don't you bring in Chapman? And let him pitch an inning in a third, an inning in two thirds, two innings. This guy is a former starter. He could clearly pitch two innings every other night or three nights a week, and you you'll win these eighth and ninth inning almost every time. But they won't do it. They've taken the best arm. You know, the I don't know who the greatest arm in baseball is, but whoever it is, they're not much better than Chapman. Chapman is a freak of nature, and the Reds put him in the bullpen to pitch 52 innings a year for a team that won't be above 500 for the second year in a row. It makes no sense. It, it, it's not even IQ-wise. It's it's not smart. I, I, I don't understand it. There's no baseball logic. It, it's a numbers game, and they Chapman should have been a, a starter. They should have stuck with it. And they would have had a guy like Randy Johnson. And now they have a guy that can't help the team because he's never used. Over the weekend, the Reds lose three straight games. He's never in for an inning. It, it's just outrageous. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And the hottest rumor that I've heard so far, Mark, is Raldis Chapman going to Detroit for Nick Castellanos, a third baseman, by the way, and prospects. Now, I've heard this out of a couple of Detroit stations. Have you heard anything? Oh, I, I've heard that, but there's there's been other rumors I think are more compelling, like uh, a, a Chapman-Cueto tandem uh, going to Kansas City for a, a, a bunch of guys who could really change the Reds. But I think that's illogical. I think you would get more by splitting those guys up and, and getting two teams to give you, you know, four or five prospects rather than one team giving you one or two. So at this point, according to uh, the Reds' general manager on TV Saturday night, he's not talked to anybody yet. That's what he said on national TV. We haven't had any conversations yet. What? Why? Well, number one, it's it can't be true. You know, they're supposed to be talking. A good general manager will talk to somebody almost every day. Yeah. You know, that's just, hey, how you doing? You got anything going on? Uh, that, that, that's a silly statement. And then he was asked on live TV, well, what are you going to do if this team gets on a seven, eight, nine-game winning streak between now and the All-Star or, or the end of the, uh, end of the month, the trade deadline? He goes, well, yeah, that does create problems. He said that on national TV. Oh. So, are, are they going to make a decision? Are they afraid to make a decision? Are, are people? Are they afraid people aren't going to show up? Most of the Mark, with, with all the stupid statements that Walt Jockety is making, is he running for president on the Republican side? <laughs> well, I, I'm just asking. Has he figured out how to use a cell phone yet? I don't know. It's it's like talking to people in the dark ages uh, when you when you have those kind of, and the two guys that were on um, um, on Fox one was the what's it with former Dodger uh, Eric Caros who's a, I think he's a very good announcer by the way uh, and I forget the other guy who's the the play by play guy but they were asking I thought very lucid questions and Jockety just he couldn't answer the stuff or he wouldn't answer it. Like he's afraid that people might look in the paper and find out the Reds are 16 and a half games out of first place. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we're trying to hide that from you guys. What they ought to come out and say is, look, this season is lost, but we're going to put together an exciting team for you guys. And <laughs> even though we're going to lose Cueto, we're going to lose Chapman, we're going to lose maybe Bruce, uh, they're probably going to lose, um, who else would be? Oh, uh, Phillips. Uh, Marlon Bird. We're going to lose all these guys, but boy, we're going to be competitive. Uh, no, what they can say, we're going to lose these guys, but we're going to put together an exciting team, and boy, you, you, you should be excited about coming out and seeing the guys we're going to get play the rest of the year. But the other thing that was interesting, they asked him, he said, well, what are you going to do next year? This is after he said he wasn't sure he was going to trade Cueto. His, his answer was, well, next year, Homer Bailey is going to be our number one starter. That's because they, they're asking about how his health was. He said, well, Bailey's going to be our number one starter. Now, wait a minute. You just said you weren't going to trade Cueto or you weren't sure, but you already know next year Homer Bailey is going to be your number one starter. Coming off of Tommy John, sorry. Coming off Tommy John, but it also meant that Cueto is gone. So why not say right. it? Why not say it? 
he thinks that people aren't paying attention or they're stupid. It's very frustrating to be a Reds fan these days. Oh, you know, and and a lot of people think that you and I do a lot of show prep before this. We really don't. But and the reason I say that is, Mark, this is a question that I had down to ask you. And seriously, this is wrote down on my show notes. How soon before the Reds call it a year? Well, I think they have by admitting you're going to, you know, make some trades and new faces and thinking about next year. It is over. They know that. They're not stupid guys. They know the numbers. The Reds would have to go out after Cueto. After Cueto, they don't have one pitcher that is a 500 pitcher, and that includes Mike Leake. You know, Mike Leake blew uh, a chance to win last week. I was driving back and heard it on the radio. He was up, what, 9-1 to one or 8-1, to one, and he couldn't get him out. And if he's your number two starter now, you're in trouble. And the Reds are in trouble. And so are the Indians. And it, it is just, you know, Mark, we've got this kid, Corey Anderson. He's the first major league pitcher to log at least seven and two-thirds innings in each of his first three career starts since Tim Wakefield did it with the Pirates in 1992. And the last American League pitcher to achieve that feat was Bob Malacky for the Orioles in 1988. He's the first Indians pitcher to open his career with three such starts. He's now got a 0.76 ERA in 23 and two-thirds innings in his first three major league starts. And, Mark, if it hadn't been for injuries and Sean Markham just falling off the deep end as far as the number five starter is concerned, they would have never even brought this kid up. It was an emergency start that they needed somebody. It was his turn in the rotation in Columbus, and they plucked him off the Clippers roster and brought him up, and he pitched so well in his first outing, they couldn't send him down. If they'd have sent him down, Mark, after the outing that he had in front of the Cleveland fans, they would have revolted and probably never would have forgiven the Indians. They had to bring him back for one more start, and they did. This kid, I don't know if he's going to continue, to be honest with you. I really don't. But he seems to be a legitimate major league pitcher at age 24. And he is a second thought to this front office. Dave, who was your number one pitcher two years ago? Uh, <laughs> he's with Boston now. Justin Masterson. Justin Masterson. Okay. He was the next heir apparent, the next guy, uh, Cy Young winner. He, he was all the above. And, you know, I, I go back to my point. It takes more than a year or two or three or even four before you as an owner or a team can depend on these guys. And that's why it is so frustrating when the Reds give these enormous contracts out to guys that, frankly, have not demonstrated they are worthy of it. And while we're on the subject, uh, Joey Votto. Joey Votto, I hope I'm wrong, but Joey Votto could end up being one of the worst signings in the history of this organization. I can't think of one right now, uh, not because they signed him to a long-term contract, but the amount of money they're getting. The results they're getting for the amount of money. Now, if you sign Joey Votto to a five or six year deal at seven or eight million dollars, yeah, okay, that, that's a reasonable deal. Even ten million dollars a year for Joey Votto. 
but he's he's going to hit 270, 275 this year, 18 to 20 home runs, and drive in the 60 to 70 runs. That's worth $25 million? That, no. That completely ruins your ability to go out and sign two players at $12 million. Remember what Cruz signed for last year? Was it $8 million? $8 million. Yeah, and that's what you can get if you're, if you're smart. And I, I think one of the smartest things the team has done in the last 25 years is the St. Louis Cardinals not signing pools to the money he, he deserved. Frankly, he deserved it. He had proven himself. But they said, nope, that does not fit into our salary structure. We're not going to hamstring ourselves and look where they are and look where the Reds are. Mark, what upsets me, and I agree with, with what you're saying about Justin Masterson, and I thought the Indians at the time made the wrong call on Masterson. It turns out that they were right, but even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. You know, the Indians back in the early 90s under John Hart, Jacobs, and Hargrove put their faith in a bunch of young kids that were coming up. Mark, they had no idea that these kids were going to be good or not. They had a pretty good idea. They they knew what they hoped, but they had no idea that these guys were going to be good. But what they did was they went out and they showed confidence and faith in these kids, and they signed them to pre-arbitration long-term contracts. And it didn't kill the organization. It let these kids know that we're with you. It gave them the confidence. They put them in the lineup and let them play. And, yeah, these guys all turned out. Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey, Carlos Baerga, although he ended up falling off the deep end when he got fat, Kenny Lofton, players like that. Yeah, but you know what? They were young at one time. Albert Bell, they were young at one time, Mark. It took the organization to show these kids that they had faith in them. That's what I'm saying about this front office. Maybe that's what I should be saying. This front office does not show the kids in their own organization that they have faith in them. Every team is going to be making mistakes, uh, even teams in first place. The Cardinals have made mistakes on certain talent evaluation. But the most important thing for a front office to do is, number one, identify talent that they, that they can invest in. And that is the most subjective part of ownership of baseball, being a general manager, is looking at a kid when he's 19 years old and saying, yeah, he's going to be a star when he's 28, and then matching that commitment to money. What the Reds have done, they painted themselves into a corner, and there is no getting out of this corner unless they're going to take an enormous bath on some of these contracts. So right now, rather than signing arguably the best, one of the best pitchers in baseball to a long-term deal, they can't because they've got Joey Votto, and they have Homer Bailey. How in the world can you sign Homer Bailey to a 10-year contract, or a 7-year contract for $105 million? It's, there is no argument that justifies in his history that he is worth that kind of money. None. So why would you do it? There is no explanation. So in two guys over the next seven years, you have close to $300 million invested for two guys. One guy's hitting 275, and one guy's on the DL. That and is, you hamstring yourself. Of course you, you do. do. You hamstring yourself, and that is where you need an organization and a general manager that can make the tough decisions, not the popular decision, but a tough decision 
to say, no, nope, sorry, Joey, uh, here's a seven-year contract at uh, you know thirteen million a year. If that doesn't float your boat, have a good day. Right. Yeah, and what and and that that was the point that I was trying to make earlier. That when the Indians signed these kids to long-term deals. They didn't hamstring themselves. Matter of fact, it made them easier to deal if they needed to, as they found out with Carlos Baerga, as they found out with Kenny Lofton down the road. It was easier to deal these guys once they found, you know, had a chip and they, they needed something. That's what they did. But the Reds, you're right. They didn't do that. And now the Indians today, they just don't put faith in their young kids. They just don't do it. Well, it's you know you're talking about a team that was put together almost 20 years ago now, so things have changed. Uh, the Indians, you know, back in the mid 90s, one of the best teams in baseball for a number of years. Uh, those those kinds of teams just don't exist anymore because of free agency and the enormity of these contracts. But if you if you're going to invest long term, number one, I, I don't see why anybody wants to invest long term money into a starting pitcher because of injury. Look at Verlander. I mean, how much money, what, what's his contract, contract worth? I think he's got another five years left on it, yeah. about 25, 26 million a year. And he's won one game this year? Yeah. I mean, why would you keep making that mistake over and over again? You can bring up young pitchers, and you know, I have to admit, I am I am a believer in war. Uh you know, I, I think these statistics do make sense. Uh, there's enough history in baseball that proves it. But there are young kids that can come up and be just as effective. How many guys in Major League Baseball could play first base, hit 275, and hit 20 home runs? A lot. A lot. So why in the world, for a non-critical defensive position like first base, where you don't rely on defense, and by the way, Joey Votto's defense has been terrible the last two years. Why would you invest that kind of money? In, now, I can see if you have a quality position, maybe catcher or, or relief pitcher or a starting pitcher, not to the degree of $200 million, but investing in that, or a center fielder, a shortstop. Those are key positions. First base is not a key position. <laughs> There's, you know, Joey Votto is is capable of more, he's shown more, but maybe the league has figured him out. And Dave, if they have, and this guy continues to hit 270 every year, this team could be out of the, out of the playoffs for the next decade. Yeah, they, they conceivably could. You're absolutely right. You know, I would trade you, if, if the Reds would keep his salary, I would trade you Joey Votto for Carlos Santana in a heartbeat. Well, why in the hell would the Reds do that? If they're gonna oh, I'm not saying they would. Stupid <laughs> trade. I mean, uh, but don't forget, you know, your your catcher is a catcher, <laughs> and uh, or a first baseman, and he's he, what he should have done is stayed as a catcher because he he would have a much longer career in baseball if he had. He can't catch. That was you know he couldn't catch when he was a catcher, and besides, every time he took a foul ball off the mask, he got a concussion. <laughs> I think every time he tries to field a ball, he gets a concussion now at first base. This kid, I, I'm telling you, I have given up on him. I'm not interested in watching this guy play anymore. Uh, he's got he's got a longer swing than some marriages last. <laughs> well, you know, you know, speaking of long swings and guys 
uh, changing a little bit is, is Jay Bruce. Uh, he's only up to around 240, but he, he has, it appears to me, he has finally shortened his swing. He's going to left field a lot more. He's making better contact. And he's only, uh, you know, one year removed from knee surgery uh, that, you know, he came back on. And it looks like he's finally getting his, his legs underneath him. But that is a guy, Jay Bruce is not a stupid guy. And I've been more frustrated with him because of the talent he has. Up until the last couple of months, he was just unwilling or unable to change his swing. But I, I've noticed a big difference. He's not throwing his hips out anymore. He's he's keeping his hips in, and, and he's moving the ball to the left side. A lot of left center power. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see that. And uh, he's the kind of guy that he if he makes the adjust, adjustment, he's certainly got the talent, uh, you know, to be productive for a long time. But, Again, he's due for a contract renewal in, what, two years? Uh, God knows what that's going to be worth then. You know, Mark, I, while i got an opportunity here, I want to give a shout-out to one of, uh, an old high school classmate of mine, Robin Lather, who listens to our show almost every week. Her daughter, Catherine, had a baby girl this past weekend, so I want to send out congratulations to her. Uh, but, you know, one of the biggest at-bats during the past week, I don't know if you had a chance to see it or not, but was Trevor Bowers at bat on last week against the Pittsburgh Pirates on Friday night when he had an at bat in which he imitated Jason Kipnis, Ryan Rayburn's stance, and Mike Avili's and ended up walking. <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> it, it was hilarious to watch him. But that brought up a question that I wanted to ask you. With all of this interleague baseball going on now, what's your opinion now on the DH? Keep it or get rid of it? I'd get rid of it. I think it it is it's certainly easier to manage in the American League than it is in the National League because of that. And I don't see the value in that. But I think the bigger question is why the hell do we still have inter- interleague play? It makes no sense anymore. The novelty is worn off. And, you know, the, the, the American League, it doesn't interest me that we go play the Chicago White Sox. I don't care about that game uh, when the Reds played them this year. Uh, I wish they'd go back to it. And maybe every fifth year have interleague play. That might be kind of cool. But why do it? It's not even bringing in the attendance. If you're a Cleveland Indians fan, would you rather play some extra games against, say, Kansas City in your division or the White Sox? Or would you rather play Tampa Bay? <laughs> I mean, it, well, it is a laughable answer because as a fan, you'd much rather see more exciting games in your own division than some team play Seattle or play Tampa Bay. Well, What's the point? You know, Mark, I could understand it if it was geographically coordinated. You know, if the Reds and Indians are going to play, okay. If the Reds and Pirates are going to play, okay. But the Reds and the Cubs, who Reds and Milwaukee... I mean, the Indians in Milwaukee, the Indians and the Cubs, I, I really don't care. You know, last week the, the Reds played the Twins. Boy, that was a yawner. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't care about the Twins. I couldn't name one player on the Twins. And why they continue to do this, I, I don't understand it. It was it was clever and, and fun for the first two or three years. You know, get to play in Yankee Stadium. Okay, been there, done that. Let's move on. So the, the bigger question to me is not the designated hitter, is why in the heck are we we're still doing interleague play? 
And you know, I, I do like the idea of the All-Star game meaning something because of the World Series. But even that is such an overblown it, – it's an exhibition game. You know, and they act like it's going to change the face of baseball as we know it in Cincinnati. It, it, it's an absurd – to me, it's, it reminds me on a much smaller scale of, of communities going out and going into debt for 100 years to put on the Olympics. Why? What's, what's the point? You, you, you bring in a lot of revenue, but you'll never pay off the debt. So that, that doesn't add up to a smart decision. What is, the, what is this big deal about the Reds hosting an All-Star game, all the money that's invested? Uh, the Reds put in millions of dollars of improvements to the stadium for one game. And <laughs> It's not like it's going to bring in an influx of money to the city. No, not not for one not for one game. If you want to do that, uh, get involved in a movie. Right. <laughs> no, uh, you're, you, you know you're absolutely right, Mark. I mean, they are going to spend just as much money in Cincinnati for the All Star Game as bringing in another team that the if the Reds were in a pennant race and they would sell out Great American Ballpark, it's the same amount. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And that, that's why I don't understand what the big deal is uh, for the other night. They had the Reds national game uh, on Fox. What are fans going to see next week that they didn't see last week for just a regular game? You see the skyline of Cincinnati. You see the stadium. Uh, you know, you see a sellout. You see their nice scoreboards. But I'd like to see some numbers on what it costs a team to host the All-Star game and what they yield from that. Uh, I'll bet the numbers don't add up. Well, the only thing, the only difference is, is that Joe Buck and a couple of guys that you've never heard of will be doing the game. That's right. I, I agree with you. That, that's the only, the only difference. Mark, this another question that I've got for you, and I saw this. I've seen it a couple of times this year, and I think I know the answer, but you being a former pitcher, I wanted to ask you this. A lot of times there's a pop-up to the mound. Why is it that pitchers refuse to catch a pop-up on the mound? Another infielder has to come in and grab it. I think it's familiarity, and I, I played first base, and I pitched, and I played third. So I've been in all three positions, and I think it's just that – the corner infielders are usually in a better position balance-wise and everything else to go after a pop-up. But what I could never understand, there's a pop-up right over the mound. And if I'm playing third, i got to run in on the run, climb the mound, and try and catch that ball when the pitcher's standing there like a you know a potted plant. Uh, if, if they're not capable of catching a pop-up, they shouldn't be out there. So I, I did see a pitcher, I think it was in the Milwaukee series over the weekend, I forget his name, a right-hander. He made a fantastic play over by the dugout, running over there to, 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 to grab a ball right by the railing of the dugout, made a great play, very athletic move. But you're right, most times uh, pitchers don't even try for those balls. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I just wanted to get a, an, an ex-pitcher's opinion on that. Another thing, Tom Hamilton made this comment when – the Indians were playing Pittsburgh over the weekend, and I wanted to ask you your opinion of this and see what you thought. He made the comment when Mark Melanson came in on Saturday to close the door on the Indians in a one nothing game. He said Mark Melanson 
right now is the best reliever in baseball. Agree or disagree? That's idiotic. <laughs> I had a feeling you would answer it that way. I mean, if you, if you want to get one out in the bottom of the ninth inning with the bases loaded, you're going to bring in Melanson over Chapman? Clint Hurdle would. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's idiotic. I mean, every pitcher has hot streaks and cold streaks, but if I have to get one out in a game, I'm bringing a guy who's a left-hander who throws 103 and uh, take my chances. Uh, Chapman is the most devastating relief pitcher probably. I can't think of one in the history of the game that probably strikes more <clears throat> more terror into the hearts of pitch, uh, the hitters, particularly left-handed hitters, and is as unhittable at times as I've ever seen in baseball. I've never seen a pitcher who can make great hitters look as bad as Chapman does. And, you know, last year he did the same thing. He had one bad outing last year. I think he gave up five runs in Colorado. And without that inning, he would have had an 0.88 ERA for the year. Striking out, on average, on average, two batters per inning. Throwing more pitches over 100 miles an hour as a reliever. More pitchers over 100 miles an hour than any pitcher in baseball history. Striking out 16.5 per nine innings. And you want to have Melanson come in? That that's the way he put it. My my feeling was he was just trying to make a big deal over a pitcher that was probably going to get the Indians out one two three, and he wanted to give them an excuse as to why the Indians were going to lose that game. That was just just my opinion about the thing. Mark the A Rod baseball. Zach Hempel, the avid baseball collector who snagged Rodriguez's milestone three thousand hit ball at Yankee Stadium on June nineteenth, finally gave up the ball in return a charity that he is involved in was to receive $150,000. Is that a fair trade for him? Sure it is. And I, I don't understand why anybody would question the fact that a, a guy, particularly a professional ball collector, as it were, goes to Yankee Stadium. Was it Yankee Stadium? Yes. Okay, and, and he gets lucky and he catches the ball. And he wants money for it. He's catching it off the bat of a guy who signed a $250 million contract. Yeah, I think he can afford to buy it. If I caught it, I would have said, hey, yeah, A-Rod, uh, congratulations on the home run, and I'd like to have two hundred grand for it. Thank you. And I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. The idea of giving up this for nothing, I mean, I can, that, that's great on his part to give it to a charity. I, I applaud that. But uh, it's his ball. He can do with it what he wants. Do you disagree? Well, yeah. No, I, I agree with you, but what got me was was the fact that everybody was complaining about Hample wanting money and not giving up this ball. You know, we talked about uh, Sarah Walsh on ESPN just going off the deep end over the fact that Zach Hempel just wouldn't turn that ball over to A-Rod out of the goodness of his heart. You know, I'm going to get a little bit political here, I guess, but why is it all right for the players and the owners, Mark, to make all the money in the world and set up tax shelters to save themselves money all the time, and that's great, according to the, the national media and ESPN. But someone like Hample, he was basically shamed on national media to get, give up this ball and not accept any money for it, and the only thing that he got in return, which is important to the charity that he is representing, don't get me wrong, but the only thing that this guy got in return for his efforts 
was the 150000 that was donated to charity. And the only reason he did that was just to kind of get around this thing where the media was saying he was, he was uh, just looking for money. What's wrong with just looking for money? I don't know. When did it when did it become bad for a regular Joe Schmo off the street to be getting money but these ball players, boy, they can get whatever they want. LeBron James is going to sign for 25 million. And nothing nothing is said about it. You know, baseball players like we've just talked about, Joey Votto, A-Rod, 250 million. It's okay for that to happen for them to set up tax shelters, but some guy like you and me may want to get 100 to 150,000 off a ball that may mean a lot to A-Rod in Major League Baseball, and it's suddenly a crime. <laughs> you know, the other day, in fact, yesterday, I was talking to my son, uh, and he he's not a great baseball fan, but he and his, uh, some cohorts went down to the Reds game, and somebody went for a beer run, and they came back with four beers, and it cost $64 <laughs> for four beers. And... It, it, the, the guy ordered the beers, didn't think much about it, and he asked, he's, it's, it's 64 bucks. He's, what? what? And then he, my son Matt was saying that he saw a family in front of him. There was three or four, I think there was four kids, six people, young kids. He said they had to have spent $300 for food, not, in, oh. not including the seats they were in, which were good seats, not including the parking and you know, the, the drive to the ballpark, all this stuff. You know, three or $400 to go to a ball game. To see a team that's going to win probably uh, 65 games this year, uh, it's outrageous. And so to your point, uh, the audacity of some of these people who complain about people like the guy who, who got the ball, when these organizations and these players make hundreds of millions of dollars, and they do it with a clear conscience. And I went down there, I guess it was it had to be last year, I guess it was, and I remember when I went out and got a hot dog or a, a Met, a soft pretzel, a Coke. I think that's I think that's what I got. It was like thirty five bucks. And I, I'm thinking, you know, you go to a nice restaurant and have a, a meal. Here I'm getting a hot dog. It's just outrageous. So yeah. I, I have no I have no sympathy for these players, and it's good for the guy who got the ball. And if, if you're going to charge me $16 for a beer, you sure as hell ought to have a winning team on the field. I agree with you. And, you know, I make a lot of fun about the Indians having Dollar Dog Night. I make, I make a tremendous amount of fun. It's a great promotion. But nobody is coming to the park, Mark. And try saying that quick three times. Nobody is coming to the park, Mark, to buy a dollar hot dog. When the team is losing, they're they're just not coming to the park to do that. Now you got a winning team, then it's a perk. You got a losing team, it's not. It, there's no way people are just coming to the ballpark because you're going to sell hot dogs for a dollar. No, and and what what teams do? I think they take advantage of the fact that some of this is just impulse buying. That they know, you know, the kids are going to want a hot dog when they go to the ball game. Okay, well let's jack that up as much as we can and make that impulse buy a very expensive venture. And I know, I mean, if you have three or four kids, you take them to a ball game, you're going to spend four or 500 bucks. It sounds absurd, but you will. Tickets, $50, $60 a piece, or even to get the cheap seats, they're $20, $25 a seat. And all the food the kids eat, and it's just an outrageous event now. And, you know, that is that is why, and, and Dave, the, a couple of things, it really got me the last few weeks. 
I've been going down to some of the inner city areas of Cincinnati, talking about the film and the book, and there is no way in the world these kids can afford to go to a baseball game. No way. And uh, I'm gonna. I, I've already thought about this. I'm gonna take a couple of those kids to a game because there's no other way they can go to a game like that. I want them to enjoy, you know, an eight dollar hot dog and, and see the spectacle of what a game is, because th- there's no other way they can do it. And that's why you're not getting any African American interest in baseball. Only what four percent of all the players in baseball are African American. That's why it's it's a sport. They could, it's like tennis. They can't afford it anymore. No, they can't. And and you know the baseball fields that are all over the country, Mark. There there really are no baseball fields all over the country. You, you, kids just don't go out and play. You've got basketball courts all over the place. You know you don't need a net on a rim. You know you've got bent rims all over New York City. You know kids are playing basketball, but baseball fields. You just don't have those anymore. I remember when we were growing up, we used to go out in the backyard and we used to make, you know, buckets for bases and, and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the thing about it is, and I never thought, I, I forgot what it was like to take my sons to a game. But the, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity on Father's Day to go, go to a game with my younger son and my grandson. And just the look on my grandson's face, and he's only, he, he, he's not even two yet. He's 19, 20 months old. And just the look on his face to look out from center field, out onto that field, and see those guys playing baseball was was priceless. And I can't wait to go to a game with my granddaughter here in a year or so, you know, just to see the look on her face. But that that's the stuff that kids of America today are not getting to do. Dave, before we get off, I only got a minute or so left here. Uh, today, I went downtown in Cincinnati on Seymour Avenue, and I went to the Reds Urban Youth Academy. It is a fantastic facility. For those of you out there who have not seen this, get online. It's the Reds Urban Youth Academy. And as much as I complain about 850 hot dogs and the way the Reds are playing, what they have done down there is really remarkable, and they are to be commended for that. Uh, it, it is unlike anything I have seen in, in other cities and the Reds have been a big part of that, along with the county and the park district down there. And a, a, a guy named Bill Daggy, D-A-G-G-Y, runs that and does a fantastic job. And a lot of it's free for the kids. They have weights. They have batting cages. They have uh, astroturf fields. They have regular grass fields. I think they have four or five fields down there. And they look like major league quality. Press boxes, the whole thing. And it's free. And former Reds players and current Reds players have donated the money to that, along with the Cincinnati Reds. And Phil Castellini and, and Karen Forgus and that group, uh, they've been directly responsible and involved in that. And they should be commended for what they've done. I, it's one of the coolest things I've seen, and uh, we're going to try our, our best to be involved with that because it is something that the city should be very, very proud of. Maybe what we'll do is we'll try to get him on the show some night and talk a little bit more about that. That's, that's a super idea, and I, I think Bill would do that. Mark, what's going on with the last at bat tryouts? Give me give me a, a synopsis here in the last minute. Well, we had uh, over 260 people sign up for our tryouts. Uh, we have begun callbacks. We have called back, uh, I think, 12 of those people to be uh, on what we call scripted, which is a script read of, of the of the book and uh, of our script of last at bat. And we'll probably have in the first scripted performance around 20 or 25. 
We'll be doing one in Dayton, uh, probably Bellbrook, uh, suburb of Dayton, and then one in Cincinnati. So we'll probably have close to 50 of those people who tried out involved uh, in that script read, and we're going to need well over 100 players. So a lot of the people who tried out, we want, want to thank them for that, and it, there's a high probability many of them will be involved in our film project. Outstanding. That, that's good news. What are the Reds got coming up the rest of this week, Mark? Dave, I've learned not to look forward. <laughs> uh, they're playing Washington. The last I heard, this they're playing Washington tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Uh, the last I heard, it was one to one. I don't know if you have an update on that. It's two to it's two to two now, going into the bottom of the eighth. Okay. Well, uh, if the Reds win uh, seventy games this year, I will be thrilled. Uh, I don't think they will. Uh, but uh, maybe next week we can get into more of the specifics of the trade options and the possibilities for the Reds because they're going to be making a lot of them. Well, that sounds good. And they play at Miami this weekend on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Indians have Houston for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they've got Oakland coming to town Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one, Dave. Thanks a lot, Mark. Mark Donahue. Here tonight, our resident Reds expert on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That's going to do it. Don't forget our Ultimate Sports Talk Show coming up this Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And Mark and I will be back again next Monday night at 9 with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a special all-star edition here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Mark Donahue, our producer, Greg Mitchell, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night. Bobby Thompson has done it. Yogi read the comics all the while. Yeah. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down the corner the national pastime went on. Traps were talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially with...